Praise the Lord. God bless all of you. So good to see you here this morning. Uh, before we start, we'll dismiss the youth class so they can get their steak and eggs and cookies and donuts. Amen. That reminds me, I think I've, I think I've said this before, there's a, uh, a line in uh, Lake Wobegon days. <clears throat> uh, the narrator is talking about how the pastor thought that his job was to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And he noticed that uh, there were a lot of afflicted people there that Sunday morning. <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> Hopefully not here today, though. Let's all stand. <laughs> Amen. God is so good to us. He has blessed us so enormously. So far above anything that, that we could have hoped for. Anything we could have looked for. But He delights to do that. Amen. He's here with us today seeking to do the same thing, minister to our needs, to bless His people in His name. Amen. Let's call out to Him today. Lord Jesus, You are an awesome God. You are great, glorious, wondrous. We heap glory and honor unto the Most High God today, and we delight ourselves in You, the God of our salvation. We rejoice in You today. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are so good. You are so great. You are so awesome and so wondrous in this and in every place. We look to You today, Lord Jesus, the Lord our God, to receive from You Your good things. Everything that we have need of today will find met in You. If we'll trust in You, if we'll place our hope and our faith and our confidence in You, I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name that we would do exactly that today. That all eyes, all hearts, all ears would be attent unto Your voice. That we would see You today high and lifted up. That Your train still fills the temple. You are a God of victory. And Your people are to live from victory to victory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. I pray, Lord, that You would bless Your people today and that Your name would be glorified in our midst. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated today. Alright. Uh, so, by way of review, last week we talked about kingdom principles in our uh, ongoing study here. Uh, we, well, we didn't learn. We already knew this. Uh, human beings' propensity for self-aggrandizement and self-promotion, even at the expense of others. And all of us, maybe we've been there at one point or another, hopefully B.C., but uh, maybe we were like that, a little bit full of ourselves, a little bit, uh, a little bit more confident in our abilities than maybe we ought to have been. Uh, and we've, we probably certainly know people or have known people that are like that. Uh, they like to be the center of attention. Uh, when they're talking, it's usually about themselves. And when they're all done talking about themselves, well, then they'll step back and let you talk about them for a while. And uh, that's, that is in the heart of every human being. A me-first mentality. Uh, and it's, it's part of our fallen nature. It's not part of the Spirit of God. It's not part of God's character. It's part of our character. 
Jesus teaches us to put others first. To put God, of course, first of all. In God's kingdom, if you want promotion, you will purpose in your hearts to submit yourself to others. Amen. That is the way to get promoted in the kingdom of God, is to learn to submit yourself and humble yourself in the sight of others and serve, minister to those around us. Instead of looking for someone to follow us, then, or to be in charge of, we ought to look for someone to submit to. I can't remember who I was reading. Maybe it was E.M. Bounds, but no, it was Watchman Nee. Has anybody heard that name? <clears throat> He's got some very, very powerful stuff. Uh, it's a little bit hard to get through sometimes, but maybe it was him I was reading. But... Uh, he said he's, he's going around looking for people to submit to because that's the heart of God. And as hard as that may be for us, I think that's good advice to take. That we're actively looking for people to submit ourselves to in ministry and in service. We read a quote from uh, Pastor Erwin Lutzer. He's quoted as saying, how do you know you have a servant's heart? Look at your reaction when you're treated like one. That is a good gauge for us. Uh, we can say that, and when it's us taking the initiative, uh, sometimes that's a little bit easier. But when people start treating us like one, that's a different story altogether. Having patience in God, to let Him promote us in His good time. And our patience is based in our trust in Him. We can have patience because we trust God. And this, this idea is going to come up uh, a couple times in this lesson for one reason or another. And before we go any farther, I'd like to expound on that for just a moment. Because I get it. I have been there. I have been frustrated. I have been discouraged. I know I'm called to pastor. I knew this the first year I received the Holy Ghost. I felt it very powerfully, very viscerally. I was 23 years old. <clears throat> Today I'm a little bit older than that. And I started, I started thinking, there are people pastoring at 18, 22. What's wrong with me? Why is God having to take so very long to get me ready for this? There's got to be something fundamentally wrong with me. And I would get discouraged. Other people that I knew uh, would get, you know, they'd become an evangelist or they'd become this or that. You know, what they were seeking. I'd be glad for him, but then again, I'm like, I'm still here. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So, when other people that I speak with or know are frustrated in that condition, trust me, I get it. I've done the right things and I've done the wrong things in that situation. You know, Every, every time that I can remember, every single time in my life where I have actively 
pushed and strived to move forward in the kingdom of God. Yes, every single time, at best, at best, nothing happened. I would just be tired and more frustrated. At worst, it would be a dumpster fire. And there would be a mess to pick up. And every single time where I have just gave up, as it were, and said, whenever you're ready, I'm ready. I'm, I'm done. I'm tired. Uh, you just do what you're going to do. At that point, doors start opening. <clears throat> and uh, it happened when we were trying to have kids. We were praying, fasting, getting anointed with oil. And no, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. But again, the attitude of my heart and my spirit was frustration. And why is this happening? And why aren't you answering my prayer? And this kind of thing. When I finally just let it go and said, okay, well, this must be the will of God. And I just accepted it. Immediately, we got pregnant. So, just to understand that I have been there, I've made, I hope not every mistake, but a lot of them, and I've done some things right too. Uh, and I'm here to encourage you, just do the right things. Uh, let God take it, let God promote you in His good time, and uh, it will be so much smoother and easier, and uh, you'll be on the fast track. You'll be on the fast track. Uh, otherwise, it's like uh, trying to get up Mount Everest. <clears throat> so let Him promote you. And that, that comes with trusting in Him. Which was, of course, my fundamental issue. I did not trust Him to do this. When I started trusting in Him, things just fell into place. Jesus is our perfect example of humility and servitude. An example we all need to follow. Amen. Uh, daily devotions, they continue to be awesome. Uh, day one, healthy competition is a good thing, but even a good thing can be taken too far. Now, those of you that have played games with me, you know that I am competitive, and I enjoy being competitive. I, every single time someone wants to play a game, I say, well, whatever you want to lose at. I say it all the time. I think, I think a part of my wife's spirit dies every time I say that now. Because I've said it so much. <laughs> but I, th I still think it's hilarious, so I keep saying it. Amen. And I love winning. And I talk smack the whole time because it's fun. And then when I do win, I talk more smack. But when I lose, then somebody else gets to enjoy talking smack. And I enjoy that too. But it wasn't always like that. It wasn't always like that. Before Christ, I was competitive in the wrong way. My whole identity was tied up in being able to win things. And when I couldn't win things, I felt like a failure, a loser, and I would get frustrated. I got a quick story on this. My sister will verify every single part of this. I love Monopoly. I love playing Monopoly. Uh, I think I got a pretty good strategy. I, I win quite a bit more than I lose. Uh, but my sister... When she played the, the dog piece, she would always beat me with that. 
every single time. I couldn't figure it out. And I was getting very frustrated. And so I figured, this is my game. I took the piece, walked out to the garage, and smashed it with a hammer. Pretty mature, pretty, pretty well thought out plan there, right? <laughs> and I tried to tell her, I'm not mad. This is just a, this it's a business decision. That's all this is. <laughs> she didn't buy any of it, but it worked. She didn't win with that piece again. Whatever I did, <laughs> it smashed the luck out of it or something. But I wasn't always like that. I wasn't always uh, competitive the right way. What would cause someone to be like that? I was like that. Maybe some of you were like that. Poor self-image for one, certainly. I had an abysmal self-image. It was tied up. I identified with the wrong things. Identifying with the wrong things. Weak moral character. There could be other reasons. This idea of keeping up with the Joneses was discussed in this, this uh, devotional. We all know what that means. What a, what a hideous way to live. Always being worried about what other people think about you. Always being worried that I'm not measuring up. I don't have enough stuff. I don't have the right stuff. I don't have nice enough stuff. Get all the best stuff you can. I have no problem with that. If you can afford it, if it doesn't bankrupt you and put you into debt, you keep it in perspective, have nice stuff. Enjoy it. But do it for the right reasons. Not because your identity is tied up in that, but because you're just wanting to enjoy the blessings of God. Amen. Day two. If we can't learn to be a servant, we need not expect any promotions in the kingdom of God. Again, if we want to be promoted in the kingdom of God, according to what Jesus said, we need to be a servant. We need to humble ourselves before others. We're called to adopt Christ's character and Christ's perspective for our own. Since Jesus teaches that servitude and humility lead to greatness, not fame or worldly accolades, we need to practice the same. We may not understand that. We may think that's backwards. Nobody cares. Jesus doesn't care. All He's asking us to do is trust Him and do it. When my kids argue and, and, and stress and fret and moan and cry about stuff that I want done, I told them, you don't have to understand the, the nuances of this. I explain it to them. They think, and a lot of people think, that agreement equals understanding. They don't agree with me. Therefore, they keep asking me, yeah, but why do we have to do this? You don't have to agree. You don't have to understand. All, all you need to do is do this. Clean the plate off and put it in the dishwasher. That's all. Jesus teaches us to... to Adopt an attitude of servitude and humility. And he practiced what he preached. He's not telling us to do one thing and doing another. 
He demonstrated everything He wants us to do in our own lives. Jesus loves us because of who we are, not because of what we do. God views all of us as equals, and no one is superior or inferior to anyone else. And again, if we have low self-image, if we are identifying ourselves with the wrong things, we can get wrapped up, and I've been in this place too, where some people are superior and other people are inferior. There's a pecking order. There's a, there's a hierarchy. No, there's not. Not in the kingdom of God. Brother Bernard stands the same height as you and I do. When we stand before Jesus Christ, my kids stand at the same height as I do in the presence of Jesus Christ. All of us are equals in the sight of God. And God has no favorites. It may seem like it. It may seem like someone is just really getting blessed and promoted. And you're not. But again, do you trust God or don't you? What, what God is doing over here is none of my business. This is my business. What God is doing with me. My response to what God is doing with me. That's my business. What God is doing with you and other people, that's God's business. That's your business. Amen. Every one of us are equally loved and valued by Him. Day three, find canvases for other people to paint on. Was a quote from uh, Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. Clear the path for the people above you and you will eventually create a path for yourself. I know Zig Ziglar is famous as saying, help enough people get what they want and you'll get what you want. Amen. It's not a bad way to go. The difference between selfish and selfless is found in the condition of our hearts. It's the difference not in what we do or how we behave, but in who we are. It's who we are that makes the difference. The King of Glory was able to serve perfectly because of who He is. Not because He forced Himself to. He disciplined Himself to. It was a result of who He was. His character was naturally that way. So that's what He did. Day 4. Jesus was trying to let the disciples know that they were not yet ready to drink of this cup, but that they would be. When they asked the question, and He said, are you ready to drink of the cup that I drink of? They said, absolutely. You betcha. Not having a clue what He was talking about. Not the first clue. If I say yes, do I get the promotion? Then yes. They did find out later. And they were able at that time to drink of the cup. God has great plans and ministries prepared for each and every one of us. Even though we may not all be ready to enter into that ministry at present. Jeremiah 29, 4-7. <clears throat> I was reminded of this. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. Build ye houses, and dwell in them, and plant gardens, and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives, and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters. 
that ye may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city, whither I have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it, for in the peace thereof ye shall have peace. This was part of a message that was uh, presented uh, at the Eau Claire Church that we were attending. Um, and I was in the middle of one of my fits. <clears throat> and then uh, this was preached. And it hit me. It hit me. God finally got through. Dude, calm down. Settle down. This is where I have you right now. Grow here. Just grow here. And I took it to heart. Praise God. Isn't it awesome when God corrects us? And He does that because He loves us. Amen. I appreciate that. Jesus is totally inclusive. Whosoever will. And not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He is not inclusive or exclusive in any way. Whoever wants to come to Him, He bids come. doesn't matter their social status. doesn't matter the, the color of their skin. It doesn't matter their lifestyle. None of that matters. But come. Just come. We need to set our cup down so that we can take up His. Amen. Day 5. 2 Samuel 24.24 24 says, And the king said unto this guy, Aaronah, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God, but of that which doth cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for fifty shekels of silver. Our service to the Lord doesn't mean much if it doesn't cost much. Amen. Everybody can serve Jesus Christ when it's free and easy. Just like every philosophy works when things are going great. Everything works. Serving Jesus is awesome. I get to keep everything. He's not asking anything of me. It doesn't cost me anything. Mark 12, 41-44 demonstrates a much different a much different idea, a much different attitude. Jesus is teaching. He's observing the people giving in the offering plate. Verse 41 picks up, Jesus sat over against the treasury and behold, beheld how the people cast money into the treasury and many that were rich cast in much. you think that'd be great. There came a certain poor widow and she threw in two mites, which makes a farthing. And he called unto them his disciples and saith unto him, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance. But she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. There's all, all kinds of things I could say about this, but we need to move on. What's left over after we give is what Jesus looks at. Not how much we put in. If I have a billion dollars and I give a thousand dollars in the offering plate, people are like, wow, he gave a thousand bucks. What if all I had was a thousand bucks and I gave everything in? 
That's quite a bit more in the sight of God. And again, trust in God will cause me to do that. Can I trust God to do that? If you want to serve Jesus easy, it's going to be hard for you. We aren't and we never will preach easy believism. Name it and claim it. Flab it and grab it. The, uh, what's the guy's name? Kenneth Copeland. Kenneth Copeland Ministries, Inc. Amen. Give me a thousand bucks and God will give you ten thousand bucks. <laughs> I, th- I think if that really were the case, maybe he should give me a thousand bucks. And then God would give him ten thousand. He'd have ten times. Ten times the amount. Amen. doesn't always work that way. If you're willing to lay everything at the feet of Jesus, your finances, your time, your stuff, your talent, everything, this is going to be easy for you. If you give everything to the Lord Jesus Christ, then Satan has nothing on you. He has no foothold. Nothing to threaten you with. Because it's all gone anyway. It's all in the hands of Jesus Christ. There will be no sacrifice. There will be no cost. There will be no work. Your service will be joyous, miraculous, and effectual. Because again, there's nothing left to sacrifice. There's nothing left to give. Amen. Our Scripture text for this morning on Lesson 3.4 A God of Justice Micah 6, 6-12 through is our Scripture text. And we see this, starting with verse 6. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and, how, and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. The Lord's voice crieth unto the city, and the man of wisdom shall see thy name. Hear ye the rod, and who hath appointed it? And there yet are, are there yet the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked, and the scant measure that is abominable? Shall I count them pure with the wicked balances, and with the bag of deceitful weights? For the rich men thereof are full of violence, and the inhabitants thereof have spoken lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Amen. On that forgettable day, Jesus seemed to be everywhere at once. That unforgettable day. Jesus seemed to be everywhere at once. He was flipping tables and benches, leaving a trail of chaos in His wake. Men shouted in surprise and anger as they clawed at the air, desperately trying to recapture doves. Jesus freed from their cages. Money changers crawled and grasped at coins scattered across the floor, trying to keep their profits from rolling out of sight. Jesus' disciples scrambled for cover and ducked as doves fluttered past. No one wanted to be in Jesus' way as He rushed furiously about the court of the Gentiles. All eyes were focused on Him. The indignation in His eyes mirrored the outrage in His heart at what was happening in the temple precincts. He took this personally. The disciples had witnessed something similar three years earlier when Jesus chased merchants and money changers out of the temple with a whip. John 2, 13-17 
But this call to repentance had not lasted. The religious profiteers returned, and so had Jesus. His passion for protecting the sanctity of the temple grounds had not lessened. Temple life had not always been this way. At one time, sacrifices were sold and money exchanged at markets on the Mount of Olives. But the high priest Caiaphas, responding to pressure from other Jewish leaders, granted permission for these markets to be relocated to the court of the Gentiles on the temple campus. Overnight, a place that had been dedicated to prayer and worship was transformed into a shopping center. Gentile worshipers were crowded out by greedy merchants. The Jewish leaders seemed to be all right with this devolution. In their eyes, these Gentile interlopers were unfit to set foot on the temple precincts anyway. But Jesus was incensed. My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer. Quoting Isaiah 56, 7. He looked around, eyeing the money changers and merchants who were glaring at him with malicious expressions. But ye have made it a den of thieves. The disciples discovered that nothing seemed to make Jesus angrier than abuse and injustice in the name of religion. They did not realize that their master would soon suffer even worse abuse at the hands of men who believed they were doing God's will. Reverence for holy things would soon become the pretense for the most horrible crime in history, the crucifixion of the Son of God. Jesus turned on His heel and strode out of the temple as His disciples followed closely behind. Amen. Justice is a biblical principle. We hear people screaming and crying for justice all the time. We all have different definitions of what justice might be, but we all understand that justice as a concept does exist. What most people fail to realize, though, is except the God of the Bible exists, it's a non-issue. It doesn't exist. What is justice without God? Think about that for a moment. How do we define justice without an external, uh, omnipotent, omniscient force who can execute justice? who can do it impartially, who is above reproach, who is above bribes and gifts. Do I get to define justice? How about you? How about the government? How about the majority of people? Again, why should I listen to the majority of people? Why should I listen to you? Why should you listen to me? People don't follow this all the way through. Justice doesn't exist. Love doesn't exist. Mercy doesn't exist without the God of the Bible. If He doesn't exist, none of these other things do either. Human dignity. Why do we value people? Why do you value your spouse, your children, your parents, friends? Why do we weep and cry when they're gone? If all they are is evolved plant scum. Molecules in motion. A cosmic accident. We all do love people. But only we can explain why. 
Justice without God is a fairy tale. God is the epitome of justice. That's one of his characteristics. He is just. The Hebrew word for justice, misfat, appears 421 times in the Old Testament and is frequently translated judgment, at least in the King James Version. Translation the Apostle Paul used. Deuteronomy 32.4. That was a joke. He didn't use that. <laughs> Deuteronomy 32.4 says, He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all His ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is He. Psalm 146.7-9 says, Which executeth judgment for the oppressed, which giveth food to the hungry. The Lord loosed the prisoners. The Lord openeth the eyes of the blind. The Lord raiseth them that are bowed down. The Lord loveth the righteous. The Lord preserveth the strangers. He relieveth the fatherless and widow. But the way of the wicked He turneth upside down. Amen. He's a God of justice. And that justice is most frequently executed in both the Old and New Testament in favor of those who are poor and needy and oppressed. Oppress not the fatherless and the widow. Give to those who have not. Amen. Jesus demonstrated justice with His actions. Most of His ministry was focused on the poor and oppressed, including widows, those that were sick, societal outcasts, such as lepers. Why? Why was that? What might the reasons for that be? These are questions I like to ask. Why did Jesus seem to seek out the poor and the needy, the sick, the lepers, the maimed, the blind, the demon-possessed, the publicans and the sinners? Why did He seek them out? He didn't do a whole lot with the Pharisees, except to argue with them. They needed salvation too. They needed the truth also. Well, as I see it, <clears throat> when you find someone in need, if you can meet that need, they're a whole lot more willing to listen. Jesus said it perfectly. He's not come to save the well. They don't need a physician. Those that are sick, those are the ones that need a physician. Everything's going right in someone's life. They don't need a Savior. They don't need anything. They don't need anyone. Things are going great. When things fall apart in someone's life, that's when they start turning to the Lord. Typically. Not always. But vast majority. That's when people start thinking of, about Jesus. You meet their immediate needs, they'll listen to what you have to say. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Amen. We all know that. And ministering to someone's need is an excellent opportunity to demonstrate how much we care. As ambassadors, to demonstrate how much Jesus Christ cares about their situation. We are called to reflect God's characteristic of justice. Proverbs 11.1 1 says, The false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. 
Honesty and integrity in business and in how we conduct our personal affairs should be the order of the day. We shouldn't have to struggle too much with when we're paying our taxes. Should I cheat? Should I report this or no? Now, I, I personally think that uh, if you look at the history of it, how everything was done, I think they're illegal. I don't think they have a lawful basis. But, I am also commanded to submit myself to those who have the rule over me as long as it doesn't contradict Scripture. And Jesus says, Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. So I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And I'm not going to cheat when I'm doing it. I'll use every legal loophole that I can find. Nothing wrong with that. It's legal. The government's given me that. I'm going to use it. But I'm not going to look for an illegal one. Someone gives me incorrect change at the cash register. Oh, the blessings of the Lord. No. Not at all. You gave me too much. You should have only given me this much. That, that, that shouldn't be stuff a Christian struggles with. That should just be who we are. That's what we do because that's who we are. We reflect God's justice. We should not participate in any business transaction that knowingly takes advantage of others, especially the poor and needy. Just weights and a just balance should be used at all times. Christians who serve in positions of leadership or authority must treat their subordinates fairly and with respect, with love, with compassion, with mercy. Amen. You cannot abuse your position in any way. And I know, I've listened to some of you speak about past ministers here. I have a feeling that not every minister that's been here has done that. I wasn't here when that happened. But as the current pastor, I can't apologize enough for their actions. They represented I don't even know where to start with that. And I'd go too long on it anyway. Your pastor, whoever it is, is here to serve. Not to gain, but to serve. Anything else other than that is wrong. As much as I am able. One of the things that I've purposed in my heart is to, to correct that. To rectify that. As much as I can. As much as God will, will help me to do that. To regain trust in ministry. To heal hurts and wounds that happen. I'm not talking about Brother Bell. I'm not talking about Brother Parker. I'm talking about other ministers before that. Amen. <laughs> Just so we're on the same page there. <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> but that's wrong, folks. Abuse of any kind is wrong, but religious abuse, abuse of those who are supposed to be watching out for us, 
praying for us, caring for us. That's not, no, absolutely not. Amen. All right. What does God require of us? Sacrifices alone are not sufficient. As an aside, God never asks of us what we do not already possess. He's not going to ask me to give $10,000 if all I have is 100 bucks, Unless He first gives me the $10,000, then I'll have it to give. But uh, He won't ask me to give anything I don't have. God is not impressed with outward shows of worship and appearance while inside is corruption and disobedience to God. I can give my body to be burned. I can give all my possessions to the poor and needy. I could dance and shout and jump and scream every worship service. But if it's just an act, folks, if I don't love God, if I'm not serving Him with my life, if I have no intention of obeying the commandments of God, what does it profit? What does it matter? Absolutely nothing. So sacrifices alone are not sufficient. Matthew 15, 8 and 9, Jesus talks about this. He's saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. We can't live like that. We can't, we can't serve the Lord in that capacity. Sacrifice in one area does not make up for disobedience in other areas. Matthew 23.23 speaks about this. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. Talking a lot to the Pharisees. And He says this in verse 23, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, justice, I'm sorry, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. Amen. Personal holiness is important. It's very important. But it doesn't excuse a lack of caring and concern for others. I can be great in one area and fail in another area. The Bible teaches us that if I fail in one point of the law, I'm guilty of all the law. Amen. So me being good, all my good works, if they're more than all my bad stuff, I'm good. It doesn't work that way. This isn't based on works. I need to reflect His character. All of His character. Not just one aspect. We're we're focusing on one aspect today. But as ambassadors, I need to reflect all of God. All of Him. Do justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with God. God is ever looking for a pure heart that serves Him and serves others. Today, I'm not on social media a lot, but I'm told that a lot of people, instead of saying, I'm praying for you, uh, good thoughts your way. Good thoughts coming to you. Kind of thing. <laughs> I'm happy for you that you're experiencing good thoughts right now. 
That doesn't do anything for me, though. If, if, that's what you're, if you're trying to help me out with that, it doesn't help me out. Your good thoughts only benefit you. Good words are not much more effective. Even prayer by itself is not a valid substitute when we could take reasonable action to help. James talks about this. Do justly, not think justly. James 2 and 16 talks about this. And one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? I'm praying for you is not nearly as good to a hungry person as it is to give them a meal. Now, if prayer is all we have, absolutely. Pray. We know that prayer is effective. Please don't think for one second I'm not saying that. If we look at the life of George Mueller, he fed all kinds of kids through prayer. God provided. He couldn't. So he prayed to the one that could. Amen. But if we have it in our power to help, that's what we ought to do. If a person is capable of meeting a need but refuses to do so, our faith is dead. James 2.17 continues, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Amen. I know there are people in this congregation that have done exactly that. On a more general note, I've said it before, I'm going to continue to say it, I am blown away by how much this congregation gives. The sacrificial giving of this congregation is phenomenal. It is... It, it, it amazes me. And I trust and I pray that God continues to pour blessings out upon you because of it. Justice is taking action. It's not a feeling. Lisa Sharon Harper, co-founder and executive director of New York Faith and Justice, says this, Justice is a way of showing the world what heaven looks like. According to Timothy Keller, justice is giving people, quote, what they are due, whether punishment or protection or care, unquote, if it's in your power to do so. Justice then requires us to roll up our sleeves and get personally involved in relieving the suffering and injustices of the world. Now, please understand, uh, this would be a great opportunity, if it were in my heart to do so, to start preaching a social gospel. Uh, no, I'm not preaching a social gospel. However, there is a social element to the gospel. Okay, We can't deny that. Jesus demonstrated that time and time again. He fed the 5,000. He healed the sick, cleansed the lepers, raised the dead, opened the blind eyes. He met the need wherever He was at, whatever that was. And as His ambassador, we are commissioned to go and do likewise. To meet the need. The immediate need and the real need. The need for salvation. Amen. <clears throat> as God has blessed us, we ought to feel free to bless others. Amen.
That's what Jesus did. That's what we ought to be doing as well. I will offer to God what He requires of me. Did God look at us and think, what a loser. They just need to work harder. They just need to make better choices with their life. That's exactly what we do. Jesus didn't do that with me. He certainly could have. Did I need to make better choices? You better believe it. I needed every single one, I think, could have been better. Did I need to work harder? Yeah, I was pretty lazy when Jesus found me. Bare minimum, please. Whatever will get us by. We ought not think that of others. What a loser. They just need to work harder. They need to make better choices. Maybe they do. Maybe that's exactly what they need to do. But we need to understand, folks. People do certain things or don't do certain things not because they're not properly motivated, but because of who they are. Who they are is going to reflect in the choices they make. What they do, what they don't do. So there are reasons why they need to make better choices. There are reasons why they might need to work harder. Those are what need to be addressed. Not the fact that, well, if you just clean up and get a job, you'd be good to go. Yeah, I agree. If they would just clean up and get a job, they'd have some money. They'd feel better about themselves. Absolutely. But when you're dealing with human beings, it's not that easy. You can't just fix a line of code and they're off and running. Human beings don't work that way. It'd be nice if they did. It'd be nice if I did. I got all kinds of code I could go in and fix. But there are reasons. There are underlying reasons. There are foundational issues that people struggle with, deal with. And sometimes they're not even aware of it. Those are the needs that need to be addressed and ministered to. Change who they are. Let Jesus transform them. And then see what God will do with them. We see what He did with us. He does a pretty good job cleaning us up, doesn't He? You guys can't see what I see, but He does. You guys look pretty nice. I think you look pretty nice. (laughs) I agree with you. We're a blessed people. And the blessings we enjoy, we cannot take credit for. We understand that everything that we enjoy is a gift of God. And even when we were able to make good choices and good decisions, even that we really can't take credit for either. Because those good choices and good decisions are probably based in Scripture that someone taught us, that Jesus revealed to us when we were reading or praying. As we do those things, put the Word of God in us. We get wisdom through the Word of God, through the preached Word, through prayer and fasting, through the the counsel and discipleship of others. We gain wisdom that way. And with that wisdom, we can make better choices. Amen. Luke 12, 48 says, But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. 
For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. Amen. So the more blessings we enjoy of God, the more we receive from Him, the more requirement will be placed on us. We see that in Moses. We see that in the Old Testament law. The sacrifices that were required for the quote-unquote common man and the king. The king was required to give quite a bit more. More was expected of him. Moses sinned one time, was forbidden to enter the promised land. Children of Israel, they were sinning the entire way. And yet, they crossed over just fine. The more promotion we receive in the kingdom of God, the more blessings we receive from God, the more He will require of us in return. Amen. One of those requirements is for us to show grace, mercy, and compassion on those who have not enjoyed the same blessings that we enjoy. Amen. Cleansing the temple. Oh boy. Mark 11, 15 through 19. Uh, we've. Don't need to read that. Jesus goes in, wipes the temple out. And this is the ministerial abuse. It wasn't the common man that was doing this. It was the religious leaders that were doing this. Approved of it. Jesus was taking on the most powerful religious family in Jerusalem by doing this. Annas was the high priest and he had a monopoly on the sale of sacrificial animals which were sold in the court of the Gentiles. When Jesus cleaned the temple out, Annas probably felt the sting of it in his wallet. Was Jesus right? I hope he was. He was God. He was absolutely spot on correct. They made it a den of thieves. It was to be a house of prayer. The religious leaders of the day were very comfortable exploiting worshipers for personal gain, but Jesus was not. Jesus was the exact opposite. This is to be called of all nations a house of prayer. His house was to be a place for all nations to come and worship. Oh, excuse me. Quoting Isaiah 56.7, Jesus did not abuse or take advantage of anyone, but neither was He afraid to confront those who refused to repent or whose actions kept others from God. That is the very definition of justice. That's justice. He fought on behalf of the excluded and marginalized to make sure they had access to God in equal measure. Again, absolutely inclusive. Republicans like to talk about the, the big tent thing. Well, Jesus has a bigger tent. Everyone is welcome. Everyone is bid come. Amen. Jesus' called to ensure, Jesus' call to prayer ensures our perspective about justice is right. As there cannot be justice without God, we cannot execute justice without praying to God, without having a tight relationship with Him. Otherwise, we're not going to understand what justice is. Again, is justice defined by God, or is it defined by someone, something, anyone else? 
If we don't have a close relationship with God, we're not in His Word, we are not reflecting His character, we're going to define that our own way. And we cannot allow ourselves to do that. We need our definition of justice to come from God. Without seeking God first, we're not even going to know what is and isn't just. In ourselves, justice is rarely nothing more than thinly veiled cries for revenge. When people demand justice, they want revenge. That's what it is. If someone slaps me, I'm going to beat them up. Put them in the hospital. That's justice. Now we're square. Are you though? That doesn't seem square. Well, it seems square to me. That's justice without God. We must seek God if we are to have God's perspective on and passion for justice. Pursuing justice, true justice, can be difficult and painful. It's rarely convenient. It's going to make people uncomfortable and it can and will cause misunderstandings. Look at this example of Jesus and the money changers. Nobody understood what Jesus was doing. But justice, true biblical justice, must always be pursued in our lives. Alright, how should we respond to injustice? We need to remember where it is we came from. God, when He brought the nation of Israel out from Egypt, reminded them constantly who they were, where they came from. Yada, yada, yada. Because you were bondsmen in Egypt. Because I delivered you from slavery in Egypt. This is where you came from. This is who you were when I found you. We need to remember the same thing generally and specifically. Specifically, you know exactly where you were at when God found you. I do. I remember everything. I can still hear the music playing. I can still, uh, I can still feel the temperature of the air as I walked in. I remember those things. I know where I was when He found me. And now that I'm all cleaned up and all spiritual and know a bunch of stuff about Scripture now, I still got to remember, folks, this is who I was when Jesus found me. I was nothing. I didn't know anything about Scripture. I didn't know anything about Him. I thought I did. I didn't know. I didn't have a clue. And generally, as one as Pentecostals, where our organization started, where we have our roots, is under a brush arbor getting rotten fruit thrown at us. None of us remember that. Probably. Maybe. I don't. I've never been under a brush arbor. I've never had dirty straw and hay strewn over splinter-covered wood posts or whatever it is they sat on in 100-degree weather while people were throwing rotten fruit at me, calling me insane, demon-possessed, holy roller, Get out of our town. That's where we come from as an organization. We don't experience that today. We're respectable now. They were poor. They were farmers. They were, 
They worked jobs. They weren't all that intelligent, a lot of them. Today, we got a bunch of people with college degrees, making good money, respectable in the community. And thank God for that. Thank God for that. God, I believe God brought us from there to here. I believe His favor is on us uh, for all of these reasons. But we can't forget where we came from. When someone else approaches us who is being persecuted, who is being marginalized, remember where it is we came from. That was us not too long ago. We can't look down on them because God has brought us to this place now. We didn't start here. Not as an organization. We didn't start here as an individual. God brought us from somewhere. Let's let the Lord remind us, continue to remind us where that was, where we were when He found us. Nothing wrong with that. We're not wallowing in our past sins. Uh, we're not beating ourselves up because of who we were. That's not what I'm saying either. That, that person is dead. He's gone. He doesn't exist anymore. But just remember why he doesn't exist anymore. It's not because of you. It's not because of me. It's because of Jesus Christ. Amen. Ah, we're going to have to end there. Let's all stand.